The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! back and we're at episode 90 of they must be destroyed on site and i am lee i do this thing almost daily russell and i'm joined by my co-host daniel everything's so creamy harper how are you doing sir it's very creamy very sherry what is it sherry with cream to cacao is that the is that the deal well no i i, I was actually talking about ann margaret and kitten with a whip oh. where she got her new dress oh and but, it was creamy uh, it was creamy right yeah but I, I, I do applaud you trying to connect it to the other films. To well, Rebus, so. right? Yeah. <laughs> I figured you were going to go with the alcohol reference. That was that was my uh, perhaps misbegotten assumption. There. You just think I'm an alcoholic. That's all. I, that's all it is. I know. I'm, all I know. all I'm saying is the opening sequences of Rebus definitely made me think. Yeah, Lee would do that. Yeah, I would totally do that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we we both would. That's why we're friends. That's why we do this together. That's why no one will ever listen to us. We're just drunkenly ranting about movies every week. It's great. Yeah, and we love it. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be continuing our crime series here. We're at episode 90 now, so we're really starting to uh, get down to brass tacks and getting towards episode 100, uh, which will... Uh, be our commentary on Night of the Living Dead, but until then we still got a couple episodes to go for crime films, so should be a lot of fun. And we're going to be doing two films featuring Anne fucking Margaret. This should be a lot of fun. But first off, we got a little bit of host cleaning to do, so we have two comments. CB Fall chimed in on our uh, Snatch episode, and he said the hype for the movie was cool, but the movie itself bored me. I... Okay. I, I don't understand. I mean, I almost don't understand. I, I do understand how that movie would bore you, but I kind of don't understand. how. Like, of all the adjectives to use to describe that film, I understand not liking it. I don't understand being bored by it. Unless maybe you saw the really terrible Guy Ritchie films first and then saw that one. I could see thinking, oh, it's just kind of a retread of the stuff we've seen before. I'm, I'm going under the assumption that we were sort of going on that he doesn't listen to the podcast and probably doesn't watch half the movies we talk about yeah yeah there's there's probably that too i was i was i was giving him the benefit of the doubt there but i don't think there's much benefit (laughs) left of that doubt no i'm kind of done with it but at the same time i still appreciate cb fall chiming in every week every week whether he watches movies or not and listens to us or not it doesn't matter just keep just keep commenting. I wonder if I wonder if other podcasts if he does this to like a hundred podcasts a week. I don't know if he does. I I have seen him in other places in my sort of Google Plus network as far as uh, like beer reviews and shit like that goes. So he, he he comments on other people's stuff. So there's some sort of weird connection there, but I'm too lazy to connect all Figure the dots. Out who he is. Sorry, I get it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, whatever. Mike Murphy commented today on our uh, Facebook page saying, Anne fucking Margaret loved her to death in Magic, uh, which he co-starred with uh, Anthony Hopkins. That's the, uh, like, a telekinesis kind of movie with, like, a 
puppet and shit like that. Kind of creepy. Yep. And he said, basically, uh, anything with her, little to no clothes on, is basically what he's interested in seeing with Anne Margaret. I tend to agree with that, <laughs> by the way. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna complain about that. And uh, we've got two gems for you, if that's what you're looking for. I think. Yeah, exactly. Very obscure gems, but gems nonetheless. So we can definitely just move right on to what we've watched in the last little while, and I'll throw over to you, Daniel, for uh, whatever you have to offer. Sure. Um, I just have one. I watched It Man this week. Mm. Um, have you seen that yet? Yes, I have. Nice. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I didn't take it too seriously. I didn't realize it was, you know, about essentially the <laughs> rape of China by Japan yeah. in World War Two. I'm just sitting there and watching. I'm like, oh, martial arts film. It's kind of got it's got Donnie Yen, and I, you know, I'm 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 kind of falling in love with Donnie Yen. That's great. And uh, I knew it was something I was going to enjoy. And then, like, wow, it hits me over the head with let's talk about World War Two for a while. And, um, you know, genocidal Japanese people. Yeah, I think it's a pretty effective film. I love the martial arts in it. It makes, makes it man into this uh, great mythic hero that I'm not sure mm-hmm. he quite deserves based on the fact no. that he basically just started a martial arts school. A fun movie. I love Donnie Yen in it. I, lo- I kind of love everybody in it. Nothing I took too seriously, but a fun watch. And that's kind of, I don't know, all I have to say. The, the whole series is really good. I, I, I will not pretend to know the nuances between the Japanese, the Chinese, and the Korean cultures because there is a very sordid, long fucking history of invasions and violence between those countries. And it hasn't really left martial arts cinema. A lot of martial arts cinema kind of reflects those sort of attitudes and uh, sort of, you know, breach that sort of topic. I, I will say it's kind of refreshing to see a martial arts movie where the Japanese are not all wearing Hitler mustaches. which which was something very common in the 1970s and 80s but yeah those are really good films are really well done i've been trying to jump into more asian cinema as of late and i've been finding it a little difficult honestly for me just because some of the movies are like two and a half hours long and i for some reason i just don't have the time to dedicate to them all, all all the time but yeah the ip man stuff is really good and it's really worth watching. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with yep. that. No, I'm. I, I watched the first one. I think uh, night before last, last night, something like that. Just um, I mean, idly just put it on, enjoyed it. I will definitely watch the other two. Um, but I'm gonna kind of save them just for like, oh, I'm looking for a, a fun little martial arts movie. Yeah. Uh, you know. uh, which one is it? I think it's part three that has Mike Tyson in it. <laughs> so oh, and, and that's and it's fun. It's good. Uh, don't don't laugh. It's actually really good. Mike Tyson's awesome in it. All right. So, well, I will. I will. I will wait with bated breath for that. Yes. Yeah. It, no, it's pretty goddamn good, man. The one thing I watched uh, from 2014, a fan footage film called "As Above, So Below." It's about an archaeologist who is trying to follow her father's footsteps and uh, discover basically uh, the philosopher's stone. You know, it's kind of an alchemist kind of thing. And it leads her to the catacombs below Paris. Her and the companions she kind of strings into it end up finding themselves basically flipped into hell almost. It's kind of a mirror image of reality down in the catacombs. And it's actually pretty well done. It, it It's kind of almost... Blair Witch kind of level kind of good. It, it, it's not like a lot of the really cheap found footage films are just kind of garbage. It doesn't feel like at any time the camera shouldn't be there, with which happens with a lot of found footage films where it's like, why are you filming this shit? 
It, it doesn't make any sense. It does throw a bunch of supernatural stuff on camera that probably it didn't need to do. As far as all things are considered, it's actually pretty well done, and I was pleasantly surprised with it. So if you're looking for a decent fan footage film, As Above, So Below is pretty goddamn good. Is it a horror film? It, or, yeah. I mean, your, your description kind of makes it sound more like trippy and well, it, drama it, or whatever. It is, but... it is kind of trippy, but it is a horror, horror film because they go down to the caverns and basically they there's, there's magic involved, there's alchemy involved, and they basically flip into hell. And, they, and right. th- there's a point where they start getting chased by demons and, and, and just freaky kind of shit happens. The main characters kind of see uh, reflections of their guilt that they have to confront to escape hell basically is it's it's pretty well done it, it doesn't you know thud you over the head with the fucking narrative so it, it still feels kind of relatively like yeah this is plausible found footage film where this is what you're watching and you kind of buy into it and and uh, sort of get into it just like Blair Witch kind of worked um yep. so yeah it's actually good it's it's kind of a f- breath of fresh air as far as found footage films go so I, I really enjoyed it and it's on Netflix right now, so if anyone wants to jump in and, and see it, uh, now's the time. Awesome. Yeah, I may check that out sometime. That sounds that sounds interesting. It may be, it may be like a, just kind of an idle uh, you know, Thursday afternoon to watch at some point. Yeah, yeah that, that's pretty much where I'd put it. Mmm, <laughs> great coffee. Mmm. Hey. Chad, who's that strange, somber man on the cover of that book you're reading? Oh, that's H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, I've heard of him, but I never really got into his stuff. It's kind of strange and hard to read. No, I used to think that, too. But that all changed when I started listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. What's that? The H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast is a weekly podcast. Tell me more. These two really smart and hilarious guys give a synopsis of the story, then they talk about its background, the critical views, and what it says about the author. Well, where can I listen? Let me tell you, Chris. You can go to hppodcraft.com or, heck, just subscribe through iTunes. It's that easy. Oh, Chad, I'm so excited. Now I can listen to this podcast and pretend to all my snooty friends that I actually read and understand H.P. Lovecraft. Hey, that's what I do. <laughs> oh, dear. HPPodcraft.com Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. <laughs> no one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of her. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little popping up. Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. 
Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did be you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. But yeah, we can just move right on to our films, and we're going to be talking about Anne Margaret, and we're going to start with Kitten with a Whip from 1964, directed by Douglas Hayes, who um, I know best from Bo Jest from 1966. He did a Telly Savalas film about the French Foreign Legion. And he did do a lot more else. He he basically did a lot of TV stuff after that. But uh, but that is one of his uh, claims to fame. And it was also written by Douglas Hayes and H. William Miller, who did the uh, book version of this, starring Anne Margaret as Jody Dovrak, John Forsyth as David, Peter Brown as Ron, Patricia Berry as Vera, Richard Anderson as Grant, Skip Ward as Buck. Diane Sayer as Midge, and Anne Doran as Mavis. And I'll throw over to you, Daniel, for the synopsis, sir. David Stratton is a happily married, middle-class San Diego man who, as the film opens, is being courted by some rich dude in a suit to possibly run for Senate. So what's the worst thing that could happen to him while his wife is out of town than that a buxom 17-year-old blonde named Jody, and played by the certainly not 17-year-old Anne Margaret, breaks into his house and decides to take up temporary residence at his bed? Not much, as it turns out, because this girl turns out to be a fucking hellcat and a half, Despite her tale of woe that played on Stratton's sympathy, it's not only does she concern herself with Batman comics and Looney Tunes cartoons, but she's an escapee from a home for juvenile delinquents who may have killed one of her nurses to boot. Things get even worse for David when three of the young girl's friends, two boys and a girl for maximum swing potential of course, invade his home that night with plans to party in that most heinous of ways, spouting sophomoric philosophy and drinking all the good booze in the house. Unfortunately, it's not that simple, and one of the two boys, the one spouting the worst of the philosophy, ends up sliced up with a razor blade, and David is forced to take the three remaining youngsters, the young woman having seen the error of hanging out with these blowhards and escaping the party early, of course, across the border into Tijuana, where after Jody tricks the non-injured boy into being left behind in wire fencing, they drop off the injured party to an, an ask-no-questions doctor. A sketchy run-in with some of his middle-class friends that leads to a belly dancer later, and a confrontation with the two teenage hoodlums later, Jody and David are on the run in a pretty thrilling car chase that ends with David in a ditch with two broken legs. Waking up in a hospital bed back on the American side of the border, he is informed that his wife is here to see him. Thankfully, the young Hellcat had had a heart of gold after all, for she gave a version of events that cleared David entirely just before she died of her own injuries. David's still going to have to explain why he bought that dress, of course, but the movie doesn't concern itself much with such details. <laughs> this is quite the film. I think this is an unfairly maligned film to some degree. Like, th this is a film that is uh, basically the butt of joke at, at this point. Well, uh, let's, 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 let's just get this out of the way. This is an MST3K film. Yeah, and I think it's an unfairly picked film for MST3K. I think they were better served to find something a little bit more silly than this, honestly. Uh, but uh, well, there, there's some, there's some ridiculous stuff in this, and there yeah. are some problems with this, and we're gonna talk about that. But I mean, I was I watched this in one sitting, and I mean, it, that's that's actually kind of rare for me these days. Is to act. I will usually watch like half a film and then come back to, for the other half. Later. Right. I watched this straight through, no problems. Um, was thoroughly entertained by it. Had no like it, it definitely doesn't have the kind of traditional MST3K problem of just, my God, when are we going to get to the meat of this? Yeah, so, you know, where so many of those movies are just it's either production value or there's just nothing happening ever or it's just ridiculous. 
this doesn't have any of those three problems. Have you seen the MST3K of this? I, I didn't. I was intending to watch it, but I didn't. And, I mean, I think I've mentioned this before. I'm not a big fan of MST3Ks anyway, so I'm kind of hesitant to even fucking watch it. But I, I, wasn't, I was intending to watch it for this, but I just didn't get the time. I'm a, I'm kind of a casual MST3K fan, you know, where I went through a period where I really enjoyed it, and it's fun to kind of sit down with some friends and, you know, just watch and enjoy and, and right. kind of bullshit along with them, you know? And I certainly have some, some sort of favorite episodes. It's it's almost like the modern... I mean, what we do now almost removes the need for that sort of criticism, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's all about, you know, kind of the... it's It's about the obvious joke told really well. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the internet just sort of makes that a thing that everybody does now. Yeah. You know? I mean, I without in any way diminishing the talent of those guys, I mean, they're they're brilliant guys. And yeah. I mean, the fact that they've kind of the fact that they've gone on to do riff tracks and they do riff tracks about actually good movies <laughs> kind of tells you that like it's not really the quality of the film that makes MST3K work. Right. Right. And that's all I really want to say about Mr. Says Theater 3000 during this episode, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, fine, we can move on. But yeah, what what are your uh, sort of initial impressions on this film? It's interesting, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I kind of found this just kind of perusing the oddball stuff that I peruse and looking for titles that we might cover that people haven't heard of. Right. And you know me, I'm always a sucker for a good title, and I see, like, Anne margaret Kitten with a Whip. Okay, yeah. we have to say that. Yeah, like, that's just, yeah lockdown which, right there, yeah. The, the the only other thing I'll say is that I imagine that was a big reason that they picked it is because like well of course you have to do a film called Getting with a Whip right yeah. if you if you're talking about bad movies and, and movies in general like I mean it just it just screams to like watch and talk about also you know Anne Margaret I kind of looked at the synopsis is like oh she's a juvenile delinquent and this is like right in the middle of her where she was doing all those Elvis movies and that sort of thing yeah, so she's, I mean she's, she's supposed to be seventeen in this. Yeah, she's not. She's like twenty three or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's. I mean, but I mean, she doesn't look. She doesn't. I mean, I kind of made the joke that she's obviously not seventeen. Yeah. But I mean, she's obviously not seventeen. But she's not like so. It doesn't. She's not like forty or something. You know. But, no, I mean the the, the, um, the studios at this point were trying to push her as the next Marilyn Monroe, and right. And she was trying to get out of that image. That that's why she did this film part in part. Well, it's it sounds like. I mean, just we didn't read. Weeding, I'm doing the um, the Bugs Bunny thing. Reading the uh, Wikipedia page, I I kind of get the sense that um her her management was just like throwing her into all sorts of shit right. just to try to get her away from this Marilyn Monroeish image, you know. Yeah. Um, and this was just another thing. This was this was supposed to kind of highlight her dramatic chops, and I think it does that. I mean, read here, here's where I land on this. This is so 1964. It hurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that it is everything a middle class white dude is going to be frightened of by the hippies and beatniks, or the proto hippies, not even the real hippies, you know? Because I mean, it literally is like this. This girl comes in, and if she wasn't like an escapee from a juvenile delinquent, you know, home, mm-hmm. if she if it wasn't like, oh, there's a manhunt after her. Um, I mean, she's literally just a girl who comes in and watches cartoons and read. Like, there's a shot of like <laughs> Batman comics. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like, oh my god, the girl is back. You know, it's it's just like <laughs> a horrifying. Thing. Here, here's the interesting thing. Like, most of the lines in this film are just straight up standard noir drama melodrama kind of lines. Like, there, there's nothing, there's nothing silly or outrageous about them. But when you look at Anne Margaret's lines, it sounds like a bunch of fucking old white guys, basically who think they know what teenagers sound like at this point, and they're writing that. Like, it's very much that. And 
here's the here's a really cool thing. Um, her lines are bad. Like her the 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 shit they gave her in this film is pretty much borderline fucking just just terrible. But she sells it so well, and she doesn't play it up campy at all. Like she just fucking just digs right into it. She's very broad as an actress. Yeah. I um, mean, we'll talk about that more when we get to the, the other film, but she's very broad as an actress. But, I mean, ultimately with this kind of material, like, what else are you going to do? I mean, she's literally – I mean, I think the fundamental problem with the film, and, and this is like the – I actually, I enjoy this film. Mm-hmm. I, I would recommend this film, first of all. But you really do have to just cope with the fact that she doesn't have a character. She has a set of, a set of characteristics. Right. And she moves back and forth between being, you know, this sort of like – doe-eyed innocent and absolute hellcat every every five minutes every 10 minutes she's swapping back and forth between one and the other if it was better written you would kind of get the sense of oh is she playing on this guy or is she kind of responding to this environment she's in is there some kind of bigger story this film just does not give her anything to work with other than just like suddenly she's she just turns on a dime and you know she's you know, hugging a teddy bear again. And then like 10 minutes later, she's like, ha ha ha, I'm just, I'm going to do this. And I'm just, I'm going to invade your life, white man. And I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. I'm going to cry rape, you know? And that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it really is just anything that like, if you're, if you were a middle-class like bank manager in 1964, this is what, this is what terrified you about 17 year old girls is that they're sexy, but adorable and soft. And they read comic books and they're going to ruin your life by telling people that that you raped them, and that's that's yeah <laughs> right. It, it's it's a it's a really weird kind of message, and and I, I I get the feeling like if there was more nuance and subtlety in this script, that you would get more into the fact that she's basically just a mentally ill girl who you know mm-hmm. who, who's flashing between these different uh, personalities, basically. I mean, if she's 17 and she's been in and out of juvenile delinquency, I mean, you know, like, like that's almost always a, like, sociopolitical thing. That's mm-hmm. almost always, like, a, you know, either grew up in a bad home, you know, didn't have proper nutrition, you know. Right. All sorts of things that, like, lead to this that are not, you know, that are, that are not like, oh, she's just a bad person. Right. But that's, that's a very kind of, that's, that's a little bit more modern. That's a little bit more kind of social realist. And uh, this is a little bit early for that to be showing up. I, you know, I don't even – it's almost like the film is so ridiculous on that regard that I don't blame it for that. Like it's just the world of the film. It's like she's just evil, and so that's how we're just supposed to take it, right? Yeah. But she's adorable and young and evil, and so Anne margaret plays it for all she's got. I think it's not a bad performance. It's just a bad part. That's the but thing. Like because I... it's a bad part, the rest of the film kind of has to shape itself around that to some degree. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I feel like she does her best with what she's given. I mean she's – the the thing I took away from these two films that we watched is that she's actually a really good actress and she does her best to basically work with really shitty fucking material that's given to her. Here she's very expressive, she's very broad, she's very big, but she sells it at the same time and she does a really goddamn great job with it. And I was that that was one of the central things of this film that I was really impressed with that uh, like I went into this knowing that yeah MST3K fucking talked about this film and made fun of it and I was like okay well this must be really bad and then I watched it and I was like this isn't bad it's not bad at all I mean it, it it's kind of a dumbed down noir to a certain degree like it's got all those sort of trappings I mean if, if Fritz Lang saw this sort of expressionist <coughs> shit in this film he'd probably you know 
die right there, you know, knowing that his his kind of the stuff he pioneered was like sort of put into this film. But it's really well done for what it is. Uh, I, well, I would... there's 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 another name we should mention just as long as you're name dropping directors, and that is the, yeah. the book this is based on. The guy who wrote that book wrote another book, which Touch of Evil is based on. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, and to me, what, once I saw that, and it's like, oh, right, like Tijuana and the Mexican border and all that sort of thing. It's, it's a, there's a recurring theme, and it's hard not to, like, connect it right back to oh, well, you know, the, that yeah. film and, and, and you know, Orson Welles. This film steals some of Henry, Henry Mancini's uh, stuff from Touch of Evil as well. In, in the music. Oh, does it? I didn't yeah. notice. Yeah, I, I didn't pinpoint down what exactly it stole, but I, I did like look it up, and it actually does steal a bit of like Henry Mancini stuff from Touch of Evil. So, and then then there's just a lot of like it's a cheap movie, so there's a lot of fucking library music as well. So you right, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it it totally makes sense that the director went on to do TV because it really feels like that sort of. It doesn't feel like 60s TV. It feels like 50s TV. You right. Know? It, it feels like that kind of like very straightforward, like Dragnet style of melodrama in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, no. Um, it, it, kind it's... Of, I mean, it's almost it's almost a filmed play because like yeah. big chunks of this take place in, you know, really just uh, the guy's one, house. Yeah, one place, yeah. And then, uh, you know, we kind of move on and then we kind of get into this, uh, you know, the Tijuana, we get into some, some, you know, some chase scenes and stuff, which are pretty well done. But, you know, nothing that you couldn't, like, realize on stage if you were, like, determined to do so. Right. So um, it, it does kind of have that slightly closed-in quality, which I think I think works for the film, really. I mean, it it's it's sort of like one of those, like, you, I was, you know, you go to IMDb and it has, like, this sort of, like, um, you know, keywords you know and one of them is in home invasion and i'm like it is that i mean it, it, it is that but you know you compare it to something you know like like the strangers or something you know or yeah the, um, you know a lot of those other or, and it's, uh, i mean it is sort of like instead like, of like knock, no, knock nobody's like getting this guy alive yeah, you know? yeah <laughs> not no. playing him. it's just there's a girl who's you know like wanting to have a place to stay while she's like on the run from the law no, it's an interesting contrast, too, because John Forsyth plays this character. Like, he's the most, of all the films I've watched in my life, he is one of the most straight-laced, honorable, decent characters you'll ever mm-hmm. find in film. Like, he, he is so bland and straight-laced. Like you said, Dragnet. Very very much like kind of the, that kind of idea of the... Uh, I mean, he's it's almost like sitcom dad, right? Yeah. I mean, it, and... and, and it's it's kind of it's it's really tempting to kind of put yourself back in um, 1964 in terms of viewing mm. this in terms of, you know because it is so much of that time and place. I mean, you can't imagine this being made even five years later because by '69 they would have been straight up hippies. You know, I mean, right. this is this, I mean, even a year or two later they would not have been like listening to jazz music and that's their like radical like the kids these days <laughs> yeah. their jazz music you know i mean yeah, fucking I, rock and roll you know what i mean honestly that's like 10 years too late at this point right right i mean it's it's uh i mean so so there definitely is this kind of thing of i mean this is what 40 year old white male studio executives were terrified about by the kids right you know? yeah. and yet you can't imagine like of course they're marketing this to kids so you know based on the strength of the performances and the oh man and and they come in and they they're practically beat poets i mean i'm just yeah. thinking like where rays and you know like turtlenecks and um carrie bond goes around i mean it's just really weird i mean it's it just such reflects what people were terrified of at the time you yeah know? well and that's what i find most most fascinating on a thematic level it's just 
that element. Like, what's really scary are these kids are going to come in, they're going to, like, out-talk philosophy. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, they're, they're too... <laughs> like, the two guys are psychos. One of them is a more uh, anti-violence. He's, he's more about non-aggression, but, he, but he's still, like, the sort of philosophical psycho who's going to, you know... Manipulate him, manipulate you with his mind and shit, you know, with his pseudo fucking philosophy and all that bullshit that he talks. And then you get the other guy who's just a fucking outright fucking psychopath who's using his brute force to bully people around. And then you have the uh, other girl there who uh, is is dominated for a while in the film until she decides, "Fuck this, I'm leaving." <laughs> she she had the right idea. You know, yeah, it was it was it was the uh, you know, and and there's even literally a, uh, I mean, they're literally coded as swingers. Like, I mean, right. there there is a line to where you know, I mean, it, the uh, the philosophical, the beat poet guy is uh, like making out with the other girl yeah. when supposedly. Jody is his girl, right? And um, the blonde kid comes up and is like, "Oh, come on! You were supposed to talk to me if you wanted to swing, man." You know, <laughs> and, it, and I'm like, "You know, I'm with the blonde kid at this. Like, come on, we got to talk about yeah, this." Yeah, yeah. Of course, nobody's taking the girl's opinion <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, you know, neither yeah. one of them. They're both that douchebag, but you know, at the well, same yeah, time, yeah, yeah. No, the the more phil- phil- philosophical guy, he's he's a real douchebag because not only he's does... manipulating the situation. Yeah, he's yeah, been he, doing the situation, but but when he's uh, by the way, <laughs> I just got to mention small cuts to the arm in this film are apparently deadly. Like they'll, they'll kill you. Like he, he, I mean, I mean, maybe it's severed an artery. Like I, I'm kind of willing to just go with like the idea that um, the, that he guy just was... got lucky with his slice, you know. But uh, uh, my God, it's literally like a small cut, and then you know, yeah, towards the end, he's. Covered in blood, like the entire sleeve. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but that straight razor did not go anywhere near a fucking artery on that guy. <laughs> he, like, if if the cut was on the belly or something like that, I'd I'd probably buy it a little bit more. But yeah, no, the, the <laughs> no no <laughs> that that guy's a pussy if if that's what happened. But um, the manipulator, he he's kind of when when he's in the car and he's drunk and he's half you know, blood loss and that shit. He starts talking about Anne Margaret's character as like a succubus. And Oh yeah. He's got like lots of dialogue in the car. Right. Where he's like, she's a succubus. She's like a literal demon from hell sort of thing. And I I don't know, for me I'm just I'm like, no, she's way too adorable for that. Like that that's yeah. I mean she's she's a little misguided. She's seventeen. You can't I mean it really is like give her five years. She's gonna grow out of this. She's gonna be like a soccer mom. It's gonna be she, fine. She's seventeen and she's damaged, but she has the potential to turn her life around and actually be normal. But I mean, uh, she's apparently fucking that dude, and that dude. I mean, that's really her big problem. Is yeah, like, really. Yeah, find, she, she's... find better sexual partners. Well, and yeah, life... no, they they make uh, they make a note of that because uh, she says something about, oh, who cares, man? The world's going to end anyway. The bomb's going to drop, and then he says that, and then and then the senator's like, oh, so that's where she got that shit from. I I think he got it from her. I think she's smarter than he is. That, yeah. that's, that's oh, she's <laughs> she's way smarter than she he is. <laughs> He's just putting on. He's just putting on this like intellectual pretension. Oh yeah, no right. He he he's totally fucking like. You can see through him like fucking cellophane, man. Like he's he he is, he is not nearly as smart as he fucking thinks he is. He he's en- he's smart enough to fucking trick Buck into following him, but other right, than right. that, he's not that smart. He he's a kid who read like four chapters of Camus, and like that was just enough to uh, you know 
outsmart the 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 other seventeen year olds around. Right, him. right. So he gets to be like the leader of the gang. He's the brains of the group, and really, like he's he's completely useless the entire time. So yeah. <laughs> he he read he read some fucking Nietzsche, and all of a sudden he's a fucking genius. You know, like, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, no, no. Jody is definitely my favorite character, even though uh, even though she's so inconsistent. I mean, she just she does what the plot requires her to right. do in any given moment. But she's, I mean, Anne Margaret is she's fucking gorgeous. I mean, I'm, we'll talk about yeah. more of that. Yeah, she's, yeah. She's, she's gorgeous as a blonde. She's gorgeous as a redhead. I'm, you know, like there's nothing. I completely respect her as a human being, and I can say yes, you are absolutely amazing. Um, what's funny is, like, she got known for doing these, like, kind of sultry sex-kitten roles. Right. But, like, in her real life, she was very, like, reserved and shy. Mm-hmm. Um, which is always just this funny, like, dynamic where, you know, you see her on screen and you think, like, my God, what what must she have been like in real life? And in her real life, she was very not that at all. Um, yeah, which is great. It just, it just tells you how great a performer she was. Yeah, because the character she plays here... Or is. She's still alive. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, good. Yeah. But I mean, the character she plays here would fit very well in like Russ Meyer's Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, and and of course Russ Meyer when he was doing those films, he was kind of satirizing the kind of melodrama and shit that happens in these films. Yeah, and yeah. she would. I mean, she could. This character could show up in like Switchblade Sisters, or right. you know, like it's the same idea. It's just it's 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 almost it's just ten years too early, you know. Like it's coming out in this moment, and she she appears in this cultural moment. And she's great, but it kind of the the film doesn't really work in its context, and then history has just passed it by. And I think that's part of the. I mean, sitting down to it from a modern view, I can understand why you're kind of laughing at like what you got these tough guys who are quoting philosophy at each other. Yeah, and all the ridiculous stuff is based around this idea. Like all the stuff that you could really just like make fun of on its face is based on like the sort of thematic content of the film, just kind of being on its face ridiculous. Right. But if you kind of accept the premise, and then you kind of accept again, this is just what this dude is terrified of. This is this is what the people making the film thought their audiences were going to be terrified yeah. of. You know, juvenile delinquency—they're going to quote Camus and make fun of your your old fashioned razors. And <laughs> there's a blonde girl who's really hot, and you're not supposed to fuck her. That's what's really terrifying. You know, it's it's American Beauty crossed with like what the ref or something. Right, know? right. But it's funny because this is basically a low or budget. Funny games. It's American Beauty crossed with funny games. That's what this film is. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a low budget fucking exploitation film that is a play on films that were already low budget exploitation films in the fifties. It's that you know that teenage panic thing where oh these young these young teenagers are gonna you know they're gonna upset society and 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 destroy the norm of of what we uh, you know hold in awe and all that shit. Yeah, no, it's 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 kind of funny that. It almost feels very antiquated, even in 1964 <laughs> when it was made. But it's very stylish. Like again, it's got the it's got all those noir trappings that I really really love. Like the lighting in the house initially when when like wow that looks I mean, really look, fucking look good. That, look at that opening title credit sequence, which is yeah. like fucking astonishing. And then it ends with like that bear. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my god. I mean, it's it's just very. It's low budget, but stylishly put together. And I mean, I could see seeing this in 1964 and really being entertained by it. Really, I mean, just right. kind of following along with it. It's not a great film. It's got, mm-hmm. it's way better than anything that 
you know, oh, this was an MST3K movie would tell you it is. You know, I mean, this is right. it kind of, and I think that's partly just the title is so. I mean, people just take the title as being ridiculous, and yeah. yet it's it's clearly meant to be ironic. You know, like the, the mm-hmm. point the point is that it's this like way out there title, and like, what else are you gonna call it? I mean, you know. <laughs> Although, although she is, she is a nasty kitten because she. There's several times where she just basically claws flesh off people. I know, like, like it's amazing. Yeah. I, I only feel like, man, there was a moment when she should have held a whip in the in the film. You know, she's she's fucking cat. She's fucking Catwoman. She 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 is. And uh, God, you're right. Like, oh man, I I really like. I'm kind of on her side in this. Honestly, yeah. She ends up being like, wait, like some douchebag middle class white dude who's gonna be a senator. Like, go fuck yourself, you know? God, <laughs> like even like if you're not going to, I mean, the thing you do. I I was really nice to this girl from the beginning. I it turned out she was not who I thought she was. You 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 call the police and t- take your lumps. You know what I mean? Like right. that's the way you handle this. And I if there if there is kind of one thing is that. I really wish the film had kind of gone there and really twisted the screws on this guy more. Like it, it feels like it's it's limp because it doesn't really do what we would expect a modern version of this to do, which is just right. push this up to eleven. It never goes above like a six or a seven, realistically. You know, um, it thinks yeah, it's really yeah. pushing him because of just, but but it but it really doesn't. It's 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 almost family friendly. Like I mean, this this is a pretty yeah. you know like I mean, there's nothing really in this that's beyond like a a PG-13 or anything, you know, in terms of... No, the, 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 the most sexy stuff is, like, when Anne margaret kind of dances around in a new dress that he bought her, and then you get the uh, dancer in Tijuana. Right. But well, other than that, it's, it's I, not really anything I, else. I do want to mention her uh, just uh, briefly before we before we move on to the other film, but, um, yeah, I recommend this. I really... I, I As far as I can tell, there's not a DVD release of this anywhere. Well, there, there, there are. Um, okay, go ahead. If if you were uh, partaking in the uh, Universal uh, DVD on demand service, uh, this has been available since 2010. So if that's still going, I don't know if it's still going, but uh, you can get it from them. And Shout Factory has the MST3K version. If you want to buy that, does that have the so, original film on it though? I don't think it does. Yeah, which is always the thing. Like it would be amazing if they would actually just include the full version. Right. I right. know. I know the MST3K version is also on YouTube. If you want to watch it, that. Mm, yes, it is, and it's, it's it's annotated to fuck. Holy fuck! I I I actually did start watching it for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Annotations jump up every like three seconds because it, it it's it's basically giving you every reference that's made in the film, and every reference that the characters talk about when they're making fun of the film. <laughs> Looks like you can get this. I just checked it on Amazon. It's like twenty bucks, and it is part of that Vault series thing. Um, right. So, yeah, you can you can own this. I guess no special features or anything. Yeah, it's like a DVD art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One one thing I also want to mention is when they're in the uh, senator, uh, the potential senator's home. There's this big record player in there. It's it's this big fucking thing in this big wooden cabinet. My grandmother actually owned one of those, and she like passed it on to my dad, and we had it for quite a while. Uh, that's an that's an amazing record. Yeah, I can. It, it's, it's like I mean, it is. It is like again that moment in history where you know, like our fathers' fathers had that sort of thing. You know, right. like, um, yeah, it's. But no, it, it's really good because it had a radio and a record player in it, 
and it's the big solid wood cabinets that really resonate with the sound yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. I I grew I grew up actually listening <clears throat> to records on something very similar to what's presented in the movie, and I really love that. And also mentioned that uh, the motel sequence in Tijuana. Those are the same sets that were used in Psycho. Oh, yeah, that looked um, very familiar. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, that's, uh, yeah, we, we don't know that. You know, right next door, uh, Norman Bates is killing somebody, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and Tijuana, Tijuana yeah. yeah, he's, he's uh, moving around. It's great. Um, yeah, yeah but... I wanted to mention the, um, the, the, the stripper, or not the stripper, the belly dancer sequence, uh, which is a fun little sequence. Right. Because it, it does yeah. kind of have that, like, slightly, like, sitcom-y, like, Oh, the uh, potential Senate candidate meets a bunch of his middle class friends, and then we're going into this like, oh yeah, yeah there's <laughs> yeah. a show, there's a show. He's trying to get away from. Um, I mean, there's a comedy of errors element to like the final third of the film. Yeah, these aren't the flamingo. Well, these aren't the flamingo dancers. Week. He, he kind of goes in, and he's trying to get away from the guy who is a. Uh, you know, suddenly everybody, everybody just knows everybody in this film. Yeah, you know, like like it's very easy to just walk from one place to another and just find like despite how much distance he covers in his car sort of thing. So um, there's, you just have to go with it to a certain degree. Um, But the uh, Mm -hmm. philosopher guy, his, uh, his wounds have been miraculously healed or sort of healed. He's sort of like in a sling or whatever, but um, he's kind of walking around and he's dangerous in order to get away from him. uh, Jeff kind of runs off and he goes, okay, we're going to, we're going to go into this, uh, this club and we're going to, I'm going to meet somebody and see a show. And then it turns out to be a belly dancer. And um, all his friends are, uh, like, you know, kind of patently horrified because, like, there's a woman showing her belly around here. And I Dream of Jeannie yeah. won't air for another couple of years. So, you know, this is this is not safe for TV, <laughs> yeah. guys. But um, I did uh, – it, it is kind of a funny little moment, you know, in terms of in terms of that. Like, again, you just kind of put yourself in that in that moment. Um, the actress, right. the, the woman on stage is uh, by the – this is clearly not a uh, pseudonym, by the way. Um, but she's going by Patricia Tiara. <laughs> I was really hoping I could track this woman down. Um, I, I put some time into this, um, seeing if I could like figure out who Patricia Tiara is. Um, as near as I can tell, I mean, there's no information on her. Like, there's none. So it's clearly right. I can only imagine, and this is this is kind of I always like to highlight these things because. This is probably someone who did this for a living in like Los Angeles or mm-hmm. possibly Tijuana, depending if they shot it in Tijuana. I didn't look it up, but she did this for a living almost certainly because she's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, got hired to come in for a day, and because she's basically doing what at that time was really considered sex work, she went under this pseudonym. Never did anything else, or at least under that name, ever again. Yeah, nothing in film right. anyway. No, nothing in film under yeah. that name. I was really kind of. I even tried to like look and see if there was like a dancer who kind of went under that name in the 60s in, like, Los Angeles. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's impossible to, like, search these things without, like, digging into, like, actual physical records. And I didn't put that much time into it. I was really hoping I could, like, really, like, unearth something, um, but I, I did not. I put maybe 30 minutes worth of work into it and couldn't find anything. So, um, unfortunately, that's where we just have to, to lend it. But um, it is it is, it is I, really I, 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 I mean, for me, it's always whenever you see those kind of moments. I think about, like, the old... <clears throat> if you've ever looked at like the old like erotic postcards from like the 20s and stuff you know mm-hmm. you know they'll have a dude in the shadows or like where certain pieces of his anatomy are sticking in but then like a woman yeah. full face and it's like well the dude got to like be out of the frame so he wouldn't be recognized but the woman because right. she's of lower social status you know and so we we have their faces 
we hit we, you know we can see this girl Patricia Tiara's face. We see her. She's talented. She's doing her job. She's doing a great job. And mm-hmm. but yet she's forgotten the history because we have no way of knowing who she was as a person. You know. Um, yeah, I I I I feel the same way. Like it's not quite as bad, but there's a actress called uh, Angel Ray who was in uh, Beyond the Valley of the mm-hmm. Dolls, and she's she's just in brief parts. She's the uh, redhead who's having sex with the dude in the hot tub in the initial flashes and like the f- opening of the film. Basically, she has no more credits. No one knows where the fuck she went. What the fuck happened to her? Like she's. <laughs> And of course, I'll, I'll fully admit uh, my interest was like she's really hot. I want to find out sure, what the fuck yeah. else she was in, and and, and then it's like I couldn't find anything. Well, but, like, like she's for someone who is a professional, like who gets nude on film professionally, that's it. Like that's a professional interest. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I feel very differently, kind of feeling lascivious towards like someone who, you know, being lascivious towards Anne Margaret, just for her body versus, like, her acting talent is a different thing than saying there's this woman who is a belly dancer in this film and I really like her, or, you know, the, the hot redhead in, in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, or, you say Valley of the Dolls? Yeah. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Beyond, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, yeah. sorry. So, so I, I, I feel like there is a, a distinction there, and I, I don't have any problem with saying she's hot. She was really good at what she did. I would really love to see more of her work, but I can't because she's lost to history, and so... We have right. this like whisper of a memory of this person on film, on film, where you know, hypothetically, she will live yeah. forever. Except for this film is basically lost to history at this point. Yeah, um, and no, and, and no one knows who and, the fuck she was no, or remembers no one knows her. Who the like... fuck she was? And now trying to like piece together, you know, fifty three years later, if there was some like big notoriety around it, like if there was some reason that this film went, right. then maybe there, like crowdsourcing could like track her down. But there's no way on something this obscure, and that happens all the fucking time, and it's almost always to women, and it's disgusting. And um, yeah, yeah, that's just kind of that's just kind of my rant for this episode. So <laughs> no, I'm I'm fully behind that. I totally agree. It's just you know you you, you see all these really interesting, attractive women in these films in this period, and then they just disappear. You never hear about them again, which is unfortunate. But uh, can't do anything about yeah, it. At no, this I mean, point. there's nothing, there's nothing uh, we can do except let's stop shaming sex workers. Let's just stop it. Yeah, I totally. In the future, agree. things will be better. People can be remembered for their talents and their personalities and their human and their human potential. But that's the way. That's the way yeah. forward. So anyway, come and take a chance. Maybe lose and maybe win. Baby, why not take a chance? Maybe now your luck is in. You may win a million dollars if you try. If by any chance you win more than you can spend, there's a pretty even chance I'll be dearer than a friend. And I'll help you find a million things to buy. show you how to play a brand new way so baby come and take a chance maybe lose and maybe win baby why not take a chance maybe now your luck is in you'll be sorry if you let it pass you by so take a chance
show you how to play a brand new way. So baby, come and take a chance. Maybe lose and maybe win. Baby, why not take a chance? Maybe now your luck is in. You'll be sorry if you let it pass you by. So take a chance. And now we can move on. We're going to be talking about Rebus from 1969. Directed by Nino Zanchin, uh, written by Juan Cesarbera, Sergio Donati, Jose Gutierrez Macio, Manfred R. Colher, Leonardo Martin, Mario Rossi, and uh, I think most of these writers just did like small parts. Sergio Donato is the most well known of all the writers in this. He actually also did the uh, writing credits for The Big Gun Down, Once Upon a Time in the West, and A Fistful of Dynamite. So he, he's the most prominent one in this, and if you look at some of the sources for this, uh, he's the only one credited. But um, <laughs> actually, actually, when I was doing the uh, Internet Movie Database here, uh, a bunch of these guys are, like, credited twice under the <laughs> writing credits. It's like, what, what the fuck are you trying to pull? But uh, whatever. Uh, starring Lawrence Harvey as Jeff Miller, and I knew this actor. I looked at him and was like, I've seen him before, and it's like, yeah, he's a, he was in the Alamo in 1960 mm-hmm. with John Wayne, and he was also in the Maturian Candidate. He was the uh, brainwashed killer in the Maturian Candidate. And also, of note, his daughter was the bounty hunter Domino. I, I did. I did uh, find that in my in my searching as well, yes. I was fucking amazed to find that out. I was, by, the, by the way, Domino is shit, a movie we need really? to cover at some point, but, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was like, holy shit, your your daughter was a fucking bounty hunter. Unfortunately, she died at, like, age 35, but, like, yeah, that was that was amazing to, to find you that out. You are most remembered in the 21st century by the fact that your daughter was a bounty hunter and had a film where she was played by Kira Knightley. Yeah. Directed by Tony <laughs> Scott, who is yeah. also now dead. So, like, everybody dies. That's what, that's what looking at old yeah. movies means. Everybody dies. Hey. Hey, hey, fuck it. Tom Waits is still alive, bitch. Yeah, well, and so is Anne Margaret. And, so, you know, you know, there's that. Yeah, and man, Margaret's still alive, and, you know, Tom Waits told you. And Margaret, as the singer, she she has no real name in this film. So she's just. She does have a name. Her name is Laura. Is it? It is. I, I, I didn't find. I didn't so, see so it anywhere. She's, just... credited, she's credited as Laura. This actually made it into my synopsis, believe it or not. She's named Laura <laughs> in the credits, but so many of the different versions of this actually discredit her as singer that she's just called singer and like on oh. IMDb and on Wikipedia and everything. And you know, it, well, if, you, if you go and look at this film in a bunch of different places, most of them will discredit her as singer. But she's she has a name. Her name is Laura. She's called Laura many times in this film. Well, I'm glad to know that because I didn't pick it up, and I I apologize for not picking it up. Oh apparently. no, it's it's easy to miss. It's completely yeah. easy to miss. But I mean, you know, he she is called Laura at least twice in the film. So okay, all right. Ivan Desney as Guinness, Jose Calvo as Benson, Camila Horn as Evelyn Brown, Jen Hendricks as apparently somebody. She's not even credited as a character on the thing, but her name is on there. Andrea Bosick as manager of casino, and Alberto de Mendoza as the police captain. And uh, yeah, I'll throw it to you, Daniel, for the synopsis. You're gonna have to forgive me. I'm gonna go a little long on this because nobody's gonna watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. This first line, I'm gonna try to do my uh, movie trailer voice thing. So you know, we'll see right how it turns out. Jeff Miller has a problem. 
Well, Jeff Miller has a lot of problems. First, he's a high-functioning alcoholic with some data to the high-functioning, as despite being a world-class corp croupier, or so we're told, he loses his cushy job at the Playboy Club within minutes of the opening of the film. The drink that he ordered and chugged as he walked in the door two hours late for his shift seems to be the least of his offenses, at least. Anyway, his now-former boss informs him that he's now being placed on the blacklist, meaning he's not going to be able to find a job in any of the reputable casinos anywhere. Later, wandering around in what seems to be half-drunken stupor and half some overzealous production assistant's idea of a thick London fog, Jeff is approached by a mysterious man with a Benicio del Toro face and a bowler hat. Come to Beirut, he's told. There's some cash and a plane ticket in it for him, and get a job at such-and-such such casino. Everything is soon arranged, he's told, in a way that in no way portends foreboding. Jeff arrives in Beirut, running into an annoying American tourist and her mama's boy son on the flight, and wastes no time both approaching the owner for the job and a drowning himself in drink once again. Along the way, he finds that his references have been mysteriously cleared, alcohol still gives him that really fine slurred speech, and a former flame named Laura in the credits but simply singer on IMDb is working as a singer in the casino while running a con of her own on her employer, all in a day's work. Jeff encourages Laura not to get involved in anything too chancy, as he probably places a greater value in the fine structure of her face than she does, and after a couple of day dates around the lovely settings of Beirut, Jeff manages to find the man in the bowler hat who informs Jeff that he represents a consortium of casino owners who plan to use Jeff to smoke out some high-level scam artists who have been having their way with casinos around the world. Two guesses as to who the ringleader of the scam is, and your first one was wrong. As after some hanky-panky with electromagnets, an ice truck, and a plaster Buddha, it turns out that the annoying t tourist Jeff met on the plane, who, to be fair, we've seen a couple of times wandering around Beirut being annoying and American, is the actual ringleader of the crime. The mama's boy even has a gun built into his camera in what is probably one of those Bond movie knockoff things that was so popular in the late 60s. A chase scene involving some red barrels that video games have taught me explode upon contact with bullets later. The boy is dead, Jody and Jeff are canoodling by the pool in Beirut, and the old woman finds herself caught trying to escape the country by none other than our wealthy hero in the bowler hat. Oh, given her druthers, she'd just as soon cut his neck wide open, she chuckles as the credits roll. <laughs> and I, I will contest one thing. Yeah? On this. And Margaret and the... the <laughs> and uh, and the Jeff. Elite. Jeff and Jeff are are not former lovers. That Jeff knows her as a scam artist in other casinos. That's how he knows. Okay. Her. Well, they 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 very clearly they, they they there's a connection there. You know. So. Oh no! no yeah. No, there's a connection there. But he he's like, I know those hands. Yeah, he and knows I, those I, hands all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Every, everyone knows those fucking hands. But yeah, no, they're not former lovers. It, it it's. I've seen you before in another casino okay, pulling your skin. Okay, so so yeah. yeah, I I was I was playing a little uh, I was playing a little loose with that. So my apologies. Yeah, Lee caught me. Lee caught me. If Lee, yeah. Lee, if you hadn't have told if you hadn't have told on me, then nobody else would have known because nobody else is gonna watch the movie. Yeah, no one's gonna watch this film, so it doesn't really matter, of course. But fuck it. <laughs> so how much time did you spend trying to find a DVD release of this? I spent a long amount of time trying to find this, and there is, as far as I know, unless you can uh, contradict me, there is nothing. It, it, as far as you can find, is VHS releases. Of yeah, this. no. I, as far as I can tell, there 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 has been no. So so let's <laughs> let's put this out there. Um, the only reference I can find to this being like in the United States at all is that. <laughs> In the August 13th, 1984 edition of New York Magazine, there's a TV listing for it, where it aired at oh, 1 a.m. on Channel 7. 
So, uh, if you're watching Channel 7 in New York City on, <laughs> on August 13th, 1984, <laughs> you were watching this movie. That's the only thing I can find that it ever was in the United States at all. Um, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, put a, I put a bit of work into this, by the way, guys. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate that, too, because, wow. If it was not for fucking <laughs> Louis Barkov, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back of yeah, yeah. This this film would not be remembered. No, no, no. no. In the googling this, like trying to find it, like the Anne Margaret fan sites, some people, enough people have seen it that there's a very brief. Oh yeah, it's pretty good if you can find it. You know, like that's that's kind of all you yeah. have to say about it. You know, the yeah. song which I like, you're gonna end on that, right? Like there's oh like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, yeah, because um, it's so good. Yeah, like I have li- like I got that song stuck in my fucking head like a Same. week and a half ago. And yes. then I finally got it out of my head, and then I watched the film with my wife, and then my wife started humming it, and then it was back in my head. Yeah. So it's back here. It's still my fucking head tonight, man. Yeah, no, it's it's there. We go. I'm I'm intentionally not gonna hum it now, just because uh, everybody gets to listen. The to The entire it. goddamn film picks up the theme of that song throughout the entire fucking film. Well, and that's like it's the like... that's like the '70s like spaghetti western Italian way, yeah, though, man. You know, like where you kind of use your your main theme is like like the big song that you know you want people to remember and when you use that as your film, oh, all the way oh yeah um but yeah, I mean, I totally it really it really is like there there's a bit kind of late in the film where they're kind of doing that theme and it's kind of the slow version and i kind of thought right. like of that a uh, bit in team america world police where they do the america fuck yeah but they <laughs> fuck do the yeah. sad version of it you know um <laughs> uh, anyway um god this film, man, like it's it's more interesting talking about how impossible this is to find than even it is to talk about the film. But we should probably talk about the film, right? Yeah, I I, I want to know what your initial thoughts on this. The are. version that we watched, it, this is on Rare Lust. You can find it that way. Um, yeah, that's how. We I I, I, th- I think this is the, I think this is the longest version that's that's out there. Like so, I think this is the uncut version. So so it's gotta be like. It, the reason that I have spent so much time trying to find a like a DVD release is because this is kind of like that thing where we ran into with um, Violent City last time, where mm-hmm. or the time before last, sorry, um, where it's got the English language dialogue and then like the Spanish language and Italian language and French right. language dialogue is like edited back in, and so I was assuming there's got to be some DVD release that like does the same thing, right? Where they just took all the old footage and said. We don't have an American, we don't have an English language dub, but you can watch it. And I have no idea where this came from because this this feels it, like a fan reconstruction. It feels like a fan reconstruction, but I can't find a fan. You know, like that, yeah. like that's the other. Like, <laughs> the only people um, there is quite a there. There's a um, if you Google um, the Spanish title of this, the Spanish language title of this, you can find yeah. some uh, commentary on it. You can find some people who are like clearly fans of the film who do a fairly decent job, kind of like talking about it and kind of talking about what they like and don't like about it. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So I was assuming that it like. I imagine that this aired in Spain, sort of thing. Like, mm-hmm. and the, this is a like somebody took this off of like late night TV or something. But then it's in widescreen. So right. again, if somebody is better than this at us and can find a DVD release of this, I will pay money for this. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Because I really like this. Um, I want to see. I, I want a DVD of this. I, I would not like the straight English language version of this because it looks like the straight English language version is about 80 minutes long. 
the version mm-hmm. that we watched is like an hour 44 or something like that. Yep. And it looks like basically the English language version, they've just stripped any sense of context of plot out of it. And it's yeah. it would be incomprehensible if you just watched the stuff that had English that was only in English. Also, there are no subtitles, so we both watched this. I don't know if your response was, and now they're speaking French for a while, and I don't really know what's being said, but I can figure it out from context. And then for a while, uh, oh, they're speaking Spanish for a while. Okay, I heard Buddha and dinero. So, okay, the money's in the Buddha. Got it. Okay, go. I'm yeah, with you. No, I, 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 I picked it up. I mean, it wasn't that bad. And I felt like, honestly, I don't want to see the full English version of this because the different languages that kind of seeped into this added that sort of uh, international flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. And it added a sense of mystery to it as well. It, it, it made it a little bit more mysterious, just, you know, not so straightforward as if it was just the straight English version, which was 88 minutes, would have would have been just totally... Oh, the, the 88 minute version of this would be terrible because like you wouldn't get any context of what's going on at all in the final. Right. Like in the like, it would just basically basically the only thing that's in the first 80, in the English language version is Lawrence Harvey and Anne Margaret, which is great. They're they're like yeah. that's fine, but everything else gets dropped completely out. Like there's no sense of like what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, so you kind of get a lot more with the like um, casino consortium guy, the 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 bowler hat guy. You get a lot yeah. more. Con- I guess is that Guinness? Is that the guy? Or no, that's not. No, the bowler hat guy is the inspector okay. who is. Okay. So yeah, the... and, and he and for me, he's the best character in the film. Oh yeah, he's 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 really fucking good. Like I'd love to see. Yeah. I'd love to see a series of films starring this guy as like a, a sort of like um, Inspector Clouseau type. You know. <laughs> he's got oh, he's OCD, obsessive yeah, yeah. compulsive disorder. Because there's there's two scenes where one scene he's. He's folding up like uh, the dancer's negligees. <laughs> oh, oh! I just thought he was a dirty old man, just taking any excuse. Well, to that, play, that was play my with first thought. That, that was my first thought too. Like he's got these these dancers' fucking nylons, and he's folding them up while the other guy's talking to our our hero. But then there's another scene where he's uh, putting pins in a fucking cup, and it's like, okay, this guy has OCD. He, like he oh, yeah. he has to have everything organized. So I was like, yeah. This, this I think that might be just be actor's business, where he was just picking up stuff well, on well, set. Well, yeah, he, he's, he's probably like, fuck this film, I'm just going to do my own thing. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't think that was in the script at all. But Yeah, yeah, I think I think he's doing the Marlon Brando, let me find something interesting to be while right. I'm in this, like, what he probably thought was, like, slumming it kind of role. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's, this is really entertaining. Again, like, easy to, easy to kind of watch in one sitting. Uh, which I was not, I mean, I really was kind of like, I mean, I picked these two films, I found them, and said, let's do these two films, and Lee kind of like begrudgingly was like, alright, whatever. I did, oh, um, co- I was... oh come on. <laughs> I didn't begrudgingly accept, I was like, alright, let's do it. And, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm then... glad you picked them, because I'm watching this, and I'm like, okay, this is a really good sort of knockoff of the James Bond, because it's got that yeah, element. There's, there's, a, there's a strong spy film. Sorry, I'm making fun of Lee by, uh, by uh, saying... <laughs> but I mean... I mean... I'm, I'm, I'm actually making fun of myself, because I find these weird things and go, hey, let's do this. Yeah. And Lee just kind of nods, so, alright, sure. But I mean, no, like, the two leads in this, Lawrence Harvey and, and Margaret, are fucking amazing in this. Like, they're really good. Like, yeah. Lawrence Harvey is fucking really good. This is a guy who died at age 45 of stomach cancer, and yeah. he was a really good actor, and this this film kind of showcases him. Like, I mean, his real life was actual 
filled with booze and cigarettes as well. And that's kind of why he died so young. He as died he of did. cancer. Right? Yeah, but I mean, he just. I mean, he just walks into this role, and he does it so well. He's totally believable. I was totally with him throughout the entire film. And Margaret is, again, a sex kitten in this film, and she's fucking amazing. She looks fucking great. And again, just like Kitten the Whip, she sells everything she does in this film. Absolutely. I, I think, I, I mean, and, and she, the camera lingers on her, too. Oh, and oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. opening sequence. That, that, where... that dress she's, she's wearing in the first song she does. My God! Oh yeah, yeah. Why don't they make dresses like that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, not only not only that first song, but uh, when you first see her, um, you know, kind of leaning over that. Uh, oh that, yeah, uh, yeah. Table. That's how you're and, I mean, you recognize. Know, you little you. I've seen that. You literally get before. a straight up ass shot. Yeah. You know, like yeah. where she's wearing this dress that's like cut <laughs> down the back, all like you very nearly see ass crack. That's and, how far down. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, it, it, Jeff has seen that ass before. He's like, I've seen her before. He's like, oh yeah, I recognize your hands. It's it's part yeah, of my right. professional dude. Yeah, that, that's my professional uh, thing there. Yeah, <laughs> I I love how I mean you know, and then he watches her sing, and then like she's, with... and again my wife is just watching this and going like, my God, she's not wearing anything, is she? I'm like, no, no. she's not. No, we were we were both enjoying that. It was great. I love how they they start dating. You know, yeah. like they they really are kind of. I mean, th- there is this sort of. Uh, you know, it's a casino movie thing, and like, you know, she's the femme fatale, and we really are led to believe she's going to be the femme fatale. Like, right. there's like, it's sort of that obvious conclusion we're left to to draw, and then you know, kind of later on, you get that like one shot of a woman's hand, and you go, oh, well, of course, like, you know, yeah, the film is handing it to me, and then it's not that at all. It's yeah, completely different, which is a really interesting ending. But no, I love Anne Margaret in this. I love the way she's portrayed. I love her character. Um, she's actually able to to give a consistent performance when she's not being asked to do uh, two different roles simultaneously, mm-hmm. um, as in Kitten with the Whip. Um, right. And uh, John Forsyth is is, I mean, he's not as good as she is. He's he's a little bit less compelling. I'm not quite sure I buy his drunk. You, you mean Lawrence um, Harvey? Who did I say? You said John Forsyth from the previous. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, no, I mean Lawrence Harvey. Excuse yeah. me, I apologize. Sorry, right. did I did I just say Lawrence Olivier? That would be a terrible thing. Um, <laughs> That'd be slightly better. At least you got the first name right. At least I got the first name right. Yeah, no, we talk about two two milk toast white dudes, middle aged white dudes. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't think I don't think I don't think Jeff Miller is so fucking milk toast though. I I think he's much more. He, he's 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 a dynamic character. Yeah. I really. I mean, I buy him as this sort of um, guy who could find himself in this world and who would kind of bring his A game to. He's fucking Dean. Uh, he's fucking Dean Martin in this film. Yeah, no, you're I right. I mean, maybe a low, maybe a low rent Dean Martin, but he's still Dean. Martin. <laughs> We're told he's like one of the greatest croupiers in the world. Though, you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, hey. he... he at least he picks up on the guy scamming in the casino, so he knows. He, he does. He, I mean, he's you. You definitely see him kind of be good at his job. I mean, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like you're walking around drunk the entire fucking time. But then again, it is the late sixties. Right, so, right. No. But no, I do. I do really like him in the film. I think it's it's easy. I, I guess for me, it's easy to overlook him for how good Anne Margaret is in this. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Because she just comes in and steals every scene she's in, whereas he kind of has to. 
he's asked to do a lot and not given a whole lot to do it with Mm -hmm. um, because he is kind of like he has to be a drunk and then that just kind of gets completely dropped about halfway through the film like you get like three scenes of him like completely off his ass well if you you notice he takes his new job he actually makes he makes a point of not drinking alcohol right like like in public and then like you see him with like a bottle at home you know yeah because he's got He's always drinking milk or orange juice or shit like that when he's working, but, you know, then outside of that. But, I mean, it it still plays into that, you know, kind of um, unreliable narrator kind of idea where, you know, he's drunk for most of the time, so some of the stuff just goes really weird with him whenever (laughs) whenever he runs into weird shit. Yeah, and for me, the uh, the cream de cacao thing, you know, where he keeps kind of hearing it in different contexts. I mean that there's a real I mean I guess I guess it's kind of standard spy movie stuff but it's like standard it's like conspiracy thriller almost. Yeah. Like there's this unseen shadowy web of things and that's where I thought the film was going to go at first. I really thought it was going to end up being like oh it turns out the the consortium was like controlling him the whole time and you know and Margaret is is you know Well, he, well yeah when you know <clears throat> he, he looks into the uh to the binoculars that are sold to him <laughs> reluctantly by that little kid at the horse races. And then he goes to that address <laughs> and it looks like a big mastermind plan. And you know, the guy who's the voice who's talking to him and the big lights in his eyes and shit that that's obviously the fucking mastermind of this. No, he's just another pawn for that old lady who is the real mastermind of shit. And apparently she's like, you know, goes around to country to country and hires, you know, ne'er-do-wells and gets them to do her heist jobs, which is, it's an interesting kind of twist on yep. the whole formula, really, honestly. Yeah, I mean, anytime, anytime you get a, like, middle-aged woman as the villain, or the hero, but but anytime you get a middle-aged woman as, a, like, mm-hmm. an important character in these kind of films, and her motivations are not fundamentally about a her child, <laughs> um that's really unique, especially in this kind of time period. Um, I really love, I actually really love the ending. I, I think it's um, a really effective um, twist. Yeah. I think Same it um, works really well. You know, it's, it's unexpected because it really does, it really does play you to think like Anne Margaret's going to be the film fatal. And then it turns out. Right. She's just a love I mean, she's just, I mean, really God. I mean, it's, as horrible as horrible as it is to say, it's actually a good thing that she has nothing else to do in this film except be the love interest to a certain degree, you know, yeah. because she doesn't yeah, yeah. like it. You don't get that twist where it turns out she's evil all along, and and our hero has to like kill her or something, you know. No, she's she's yeah, no, she's, she's exactly just, uh, what she seems to be. A... She's kind of a a dancer and a singer and uh, super cute, and a petty petty and a petty who gets caught into the yeah. syndicate. That's, that's it. All. That yeah. that that's her role. It's like what? Who do you work for? Interpol? Uh, fuck that! <laughs> like, and yeah, and it's nice because she, general, she, she likes mm-hmm. Jeff. I mean, in the end, they they end up together. And I mean, goddamn, <laughs> if you end up with Anne Margaret, you've yeah, won. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've you've won in life. I mean, they're, I'll, they're, I'll, they're, I'll, I mean, I'll bet he even gave up drinking. Honestly, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I would give up drinking for that woman. <laughs> goddamn, because she is beautiful. I don't even care if she's not a real redhead because she's actually a brunette. Right. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I would give up for that woman. I would give up drinking. Oh, that's a, that's a that's yeah. a that's a broad statement coming from either one of us. That I it's it, it is not a broad statement. I I would totally give up drinking for a woman who looks like Anne Margaret. Totally. 
this movie at times is horribly edited. Uh, the the initial scenes with the uh, casino bosses who are talking about how they're getting mm-hmm. ripped off, and the golf on the golf course, the, it, it cuts between them talking, and then it cuts to scenes with this weird fucking like playful music, <laughs> that just totally cuts again, and then it cuts back to them talking. And it's like, what the fuck is going on in this film? It's like th- this must be the full cut of this film. So why is this happening? And I don't fucking know. I mean, it, it feels like it feels like they're they're trying to build up some sort of like because at this point we're not even doing spy movies, we're doing parodies of spy movies, right? And there right. is a degree. I mean, I guess I guess you think about structurally, this film is kind of trying to be, do a lot of different things. It's trying to be kind of the sexy romantic movie. It's trying to be kind of a, a musical. It's trying to kind of do the the spy movie thing, but do it. Like with a twist, because it's a, it's really a crime movie. It's not a spy movie at all. It's trying to give us this location. It's trying to kind of portray this this sort of cosmopolitan late sixties kind of thing. It's doing the comedy with the, the right. tourists. And, you know, so it's doing it's doing a whole lot of things, and it's doing a whole lot of things on not a lot of money, and without a whole lot of uh, resources. And so uh, some things kind of fall through the cracks a little bit. Um, I think you know what you're kind of yeah. putting your finger on is just. They were trying to like give some sort of ironic detachment to this to kind of give us something like we know this is where like the syndicate is talking and kind of laying out the plan and stuff and nobody really cares. You just want us to cut forward to the spy movie stuff and so like they're trying to give us well, something. Well, I don't know. It doesn't work at all. Um, I I I barely remember. Like my brain just cuts directly from you know the fog to like he's in the casino in Beirut. Like I I miss everything in right, between. Right, you know. Right. But I mean, the golf course stuff would have worked if they hadn't stuck that music. Yeah. In there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it it just jumps in there weirdly, and I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? Because you have a perfectly plausible idea of these casino bosses getting together to, you know, sort out who's fucking robbing them, and then it just throws these weird music in there. And it's like, why are you doing it? Why? Why are like, you doing I feel like that? We shit? don't even like if the like if they were more shadowy, and then like the reveal later on, and the sort of uh, I guess the whorehouse would um, would make more sense. Oh, oh, and well, they're very shadowy, shadowy, by the way, because they're talking openly about in the in the old days we just kill <laughs> these guys, we just buried them and like put cement boots on them, throw them in a river and shit. And it's like okay, but yeah, there's there's other interesting things in this film, by the way. Um, I'll say Guinness, the character of Guinness, he's the fastest gift wrapper ever, <laughs> ever. It's three, it's like literally like ten seconds between what's her name fucking ordering gifts and him wrapping them up for her and sh- her walking out of the fucking store with him. So uh, good on yeah, Guinness. Hey. I mean, you know. He, he he was a minor crime boss, and he's also a great gift. Maybe guy. maybe that's how he financed his rise to the drug kingdom, you know, through <laughs> like the criminal syndicates. He was like, you know, he, he did night work, you know, like wrapping gifts at Tiffany's or something, you know. And also, when Jeff went to the whorehouse, although it's not, you know, it's not necessarily explicitly called. A I mean, there, he's film. definitely sitting there. It's like, well, if you pick one of us, you you can talk whatever you want. I mean, it's it's. It's it's yeah. it's heavily implied. Like I was totally down with just going. Oh, and then there's like a bunch of girls dancing. No, 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 no. This is this is this is a this is a a, a place where people have sex for money. Again, I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. But this is what this place is. But also, by the way, this is a hell of a fucking whorehouse because those go-go dancers changed to belly dancer uniforms. Yeah. 
incredibly fast. Like, again, it was like 30 seconds, and they were out there in fucking belly dancer fucking veils. And... <laughs> no, really, really <laughs> what it is is, is uh, oh, American walks in, like, snap, snap, you know? It's uh, And then suddenly, like, they have to go and, <laughs> like, okay, they've got to change of clothes waiting, you know, because if it was if it was a local come in, then it's like, oh, no, we have to look like 60s go-go dancers from America, right? Those yeah. are all white people, and, so, you know, <laughs> And 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 I would say it was like excessive gogu dancing in this film, but no, it's not excessive because I enjoyed every bit of the attractive hookers doing the go gogu dancing, and especially fucking Anne Margaret, especially in the second one where she does the veiled gogu dance for a little while, and she drops the veils. It's like, oh my god, I'm in love with this woman. <laughs> She's amazing, and uh, if you have any doubt about whether you whether you're interested in this film, go. Google, go go to YouTube and just find the Take a Chance video from this. So, so if you search for this right. movie, basically this music video is just going to show up and it's like a little like two and a half minute chunk of the film. I'm not going to say that's the best part of the film, but that's definitely it's it's, it's, it's worth it's it. It's up there. <laughs> you know, it's worth it by itself. <laughs> it's fucking up there, um, man. Uh, God damn. I mean, this this film is, it needed actually more Anne-Margaret yeah, it does. It does. in this film, like, honestly. Why do we need Lawrence Harvey? Why can't Anne-Margaret you know, be the person they hired to solve this problem. Honestly, I was thinking more like, why did we need about 30 minutes of the opening of this film when it, it just takes so long oh. to actually get into the well, plot? And I think that's the like structural thing where they're trying to do this sort of intrigue thing. I mean, like, why do you, why right. do you need, why do you, does he have to be an alcoholic? Why do you need any of this? Like, yeah. why can't he just be a dude who works as a croupier in Beirut who was approached by the shadowy syndicate to do this thing. Like, why do you need any of that except, yeah. like, oh, we're kind of doing the James Bond thing. We're trying to pretend we're doing Cloak and Dagger. That's, that's right, know, so. yeah. Because they, they, really, they never really do anything with this alcoholism. It's just well, kind I mean, of... It's, 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 um, it's Hollywood alcoholism, where, like, once it's no longer, yeah. like, important to the plot or to the... You know, once, once we no longer care about it, we just drop it, and it has no more effect on his life, you know? Um, hmm. That being said, personally, my my thoughts in this film, I really fucking enjoyed this. Like, I I seriously fucking enjoyed this, and I actually enjoyed listening to the full like a hundred and like uh, hundred forty four minute or whatever because you got the other languages seeping in, and it added mystery to the film for me, and it made me not ever want to watch a shorter version of I, this film. I definitely agree. I do not want to watch a shorter version. I do want to watch a version with, like, where it's subtitled so I can, like, get... Right. Where I can get right. the stuff I missed, you know? Um, thankfully, my wife speaks enough Spanish where she kind of, like, you know, like, kind of pull oh, yeah. it out for me and just kind of go, oh, this... You know, and really, you follow along. It's also well enough directed that you don't... I don't feel like I missed, like, big... I think there's more stuff going on I, I feel like there's a little bit of connective tissue that you that you lose by not knowing exactly what they're saying. I don't think it's important, but I I'm really glad those sequences are there in this no. version because if we didn't have those sequences, we'd sit we'd be sitting here talking about how the film falls apart in the last 20 minutes. And like once once the actual plot happens, once the actual um, scam happens, the film just rushes towards the end and then people die and then it's over. Like yeah. that's what we'd be saying. But now that we've seen those segments, even if we don't know exactly what they're saying, you know, like, oh, so there's actually this really kind of interesting, like, subterfuge happening, you know, in plants within plants and, you know, all that sort of thing, which is, right. which is 
Again, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's well executed. I mean, for 1969 on this budget, they're not going to do any better, as far as I'm concerned. No, it, it's a really good exploitation of the sort of casino royale and spy movie shit, and it works really well. And I'm glad you fucking dug it up, because I, thir- I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. I really did really love watching this, and it was fun. And, uh, yeah. Also, uh, one more thing, or, or at least one more thing uh, I'll bring up is uh, that it's got, you get to see Cosmopolitan Beirut, you know? Right. You get to see Beirut of this, of this era, like before the yeah. Lebanese Civil War. And it's just kind of demolish the place again. So I mean, this is this is sort of a, I don't know. We have this, and, and maybe maybe this is an American thing, or maybe this is just a me thing. You know, we have this idea of the Middle East as like constantly war torn and constantly, you right. know, like like the world of the Middle East is just rubble, and so much of it is. And I'm not trying to diminish that, but like it wasn't that in the '60s. I mean, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, you weren't having those kinds of problems and to see like this is what Beirut looked like in the 60s um in my kind of googling around for this I actually found a um a page that was just like a guy like pulling up old images of like what you know Middle Eastern cities looked like back in the 60s and 70s and using you know commercially made films is like this was shot Mm -hmm. in Beirut this is not a set this is this is what this looked like you know and I, you know, again, that's one of those like powers of cinema, like looking at old movies, sort of thing. Is um, because today we think Beirut, we think devastation, right? You know? um, but that wasn't like at the time; it was this exotic locale. Like, oh, go to Beirut, you know, get laid, <laughs> you know, do some drugs, lose some money, you know. You do get really nice uh, shots of the city. It looks very beautiful. And again, also it looks very exotic because it doesn't look like the architecture that you see in other European cities and anything like that. Like it's it's very unique and very exotic, and it has that travel log feeling to it that really adds to the movie as well. So, I mean, a big chunk of, like when when um, Anne Margaret and um, uh, Lawrence Harvey are dating. I mean, a lot of that is just they're driving around in like fancy cars and stuff, and right. um, you just get to see. I mean, it's it's stylish and fun, and it's. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that in, in a kind of a silly, like, yeah. crowd-pleasing movie like this. And that's exactly what this is. It's silly and crowd-pleasing, and it succeeds at that. And why the fuck can't I buy this? Yeah, I uh, want to pay somebody money for this. Like, I, I actively here. want to give somebody money for this, and I can't. I, I think the best we can do is provide a link for our uh, listeners, if they so choose to want to download this illegally. Well, I don't even know if it's illegal. Well, at this there's point. not even, like to to me. There's not even like how there's no legal way for this. Like like who owns the rights for this at this point? You know, like yeah, I don't think I I don't even think anyone does. So I mean, I'll, I'll backtrack on my words there. I'll just say we'll provide a link for people to watch who who want to watch it illicitly. Like you're not getting official permission from a from a giant mega corporation. But we're giving you right, permission today. Right. And you know what? If this gets slapped down because of it, that means somebody cares, and then you get to, like, somebody's going to put out a DVD of this. I would totally be cool with someone, like, r- just running our fucking episode off the internet because they actually give a fuck to so you release a version of yeah. this. I would be so into that. So, yeah. This one in perfect timing. Exactly. Those yeah, are the same. Two same that, perfect like... timing as well, yes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, excellent, excellent fucking movie. Excellent choice, uh, Daniel. Thank you. Do you, Do you prefer uh, 
uh, Rebus to... By the way, which is your favorite title? Is it Rebus or Appointment in Berlin? Or assignment? Is it, is it assi- Assignment in Berlin? Um, I would go with Rebus, although it doesn't really fit, because a Rebus is kind of a pictogram version of, like, words right. or whatever. But, I don't know, it, it kind of works. It's got that kind of spy, weird, kind of coded kind of name to it that I kind of like better than Assignment Beirut. So I would go with Rebus, and I actually do like this better than Kitten with a Whip. I, I, I found, like, Anne margaret probably didn't get more to do in this compared to Kitten with a Whip, but I liked looking at her more in this film. <laughs> and sure. There is that. I'm not, I'm not going to And, and I think, I think her and Lawrence Harvey were really, really fucking good together in this film, and I think they really pulled it together and made it really interesting, so... Yeah, I, I would go with Rebus over Kitten with Whip, but just slightly, honestly. I I think I I think I would take Kitten with a Whip over Rebus. Um for kinda I, mean, I just like it more. Uh I think they're they're both they're both really good films, they're both definitely worth watching. But I mean it really is just a kind of a personal preference, is that right. Yeah, I'd probably like which one am I gonna watch again? I'd probably rewatch Kitten with a Whip before we watch uh Rebus. But um that's also kind of one of those I actually did watch Rebus. I kind of rewatched a little bit of Rebus just to remember <laughs> it, just to write the uh, the summary. Where right. with the way had a good enough uh, like synopsis on Wikipedia that I, yeah. <laughs> I have to rewatch it. There is definitely less of a story in fucking Kitten with a Whip. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So uh, before we leave here, Lee, I did want to uh, just throw this in here that um, I talking about the titles. There are a ton. Of, one of them in Argentina, this is called uh-huh. Labyrinto, which is labyrinth. Which I don't know, like Rebus and Labyrinth. I guess I guess they were just kind of connecting with that, whatever. Um, the uh, the two that I really liked were um, in Spanish. This is uh, called, and I'm going to try to pronounce this in Spain. It was El Crimen Tambien Vega, which apparently translates to Crime Also pay, Plays, which uh, is kind of a kind of a <laughs> cute title. Um, but my favorite right. is the German title, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the German title, but it translates to Hot Game for Hard Men. And uh, <laughs> I can only imagine I can only imagine that was advertised with a German-language poster, which is literally just Anne-Margaret in one of those dresses. Yeah, Hot Game for Hard Men. Come see this movie. any man who was near Anne-Margaret would be hard without fucking... <laughs> Goddamn, there's no question. Anyway... So that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of all I have to say awesome. about uh, both these films. But, yeah, go check them out. If you're listening to this, if you're interested in uh, what we have to say, it, it's worth it's worth your effort. Yeah, yeah, these are these are kind of obscure, but they're really worth your effort if you really want to jump into, jump, jump into them. It would be a lot of fun, I think, if you, uh, you, you tried them out, because we both enjoyed them. So, uh, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel E. Harper. I'm kind of mostly over there these days. I am uh, putting out some content. I've got a, a Doctor Who podcast called Always Spaceman. You can find that at alwayspaceman.libsa.com and all my other podcasts there. Um, I did put out a uh, episode of the uh, Red Dwarf thread of that that I recorded a few months ago. You can mm-hmm. go check that out. I'm supposed to record on um, another Doctor Who episode uh, next week, so hopefully uh, that'll be up uh, by the time we record the next episode. But So, uh, yeah, check me out. Oyspacenet.lipson.com or Daniel Lee Harper on Twitter. Yeah. So you're getting back into the game. I'm, I'm, I'm dipping my toes back into uh, actually producing content for free on the internet for people again. 
and content that I don't have to edit because the beauty of this podcast is I just sit and watch movies and drink and then do random research and try to find um, actresses that nobody can find ever again. Like that's my goal. And that is thoroughly appreciated, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and again, people can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find our YouTube, Facebook, and iTunes links there. Please, if you so wish, subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. If you see other reviews on iTunes, please upvote them. Say, yes, this review is helpful. And if you do give us a review and you're outside of Canada, please let us know that you wrote a review so I can change the region code on iTunes, which is bullshit, but I have to do it. And I'll read your iTunes review and I'll actually read it on the episode, whatever episode that happens to be. I'll read it on the show. And uh, other than that, uh, join our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site. And that's the best place to get in touch with us. To leave suggestions for movies for us to review, to basically just chat with us and bullshit and all that fun assorted shit. Ask us, ask us questions that you want to hear us cover on the on the show or right. recommend movies. We always, I mean, we proved it today. We will review anything. Exactly. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, even even films that don't have Anne Margaret in them, we we review all kinds of films. I, I, I don't want. Our listeners to feel like we have some sort of like preset agenda where we're just, you know, jumping through films that we want to do. Like if if you give us interesting shit to do, we will jump into it. I mean, just just give us fucking ideas, man, because we're very open to that. We want to interact with you guys. We want to hear what you want us to do. Some some of my favorite episodes have been ones where like somebody recommended, like, hey, go check out um, Stridulum. Yeah, from Jack Graham. Exactly. Hey, go check out Stridulum. What the fuck is Stridulum? I, well, let's just go watch it and talk about it. And then, like, hey, look, that's a fascinating yeah. mess of a film <laughs> with turns a great episode. So, exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, give it recommend stuff to us. Uh, but until then, uh, our next episode potentially will be the Limey, and uh, we're going to be jumping to that. And until then, thank you, Daniel, for joining me. I just don't know how we're going to do a film people have actually heard of. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> Well, we did Snatch the last episode. We did Snatch, that's true. We, we're alternating, you know. Stuff yeah. nobody can find, and then, like, something that was, like, really popular around the year 2002. Great, yeah, and then, you know, nobody's heard of it again. Yeah. Great, yeah. Yeah, Neil before Zod. We're going to do the limey. Um, and until then, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back next episode. Goodbye. Cheers.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. We also can be found as part of the Oi Spaceman family of podcasts at oispaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>